Amen. So as I said, I'm not going to preach the parable of the talents, uh, although it is a valuable parable, and I feel somewhat irresponsible leaving it out there without interpretation too much, which is why you got the header notes. But I want to go back to Judges. And the reason I want to go back to Judges is uh, I have backed into a mini-series on what progressive Christian theology actually is. And we had a study on Wednesday night about it in which we blitzkrieged through the history of liberal biblical interpretation and theology. We had a talk last week about ways to read the Bible expansively to see how is it that we can see God's love in the world, even in texts which do not at first seem to show it. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about the time of the judges, about Deborah, and about our worship. Now, it is important to know that the judges, there was no context that we gave, but the time of the judges was the time before there was really a uh, nation state of Israel. This is the time after all the Israelites have come back into the promised land from Egypt. They're up out of slavery. They have not yet established themselves in a fixed place, and they have not yet asked for a king of God. And so it is a place where there's still sort of a nomadic tribe. And the way that we, uh, the story that is told to us in Judges is that while every periodic time, the Israelites fall out of God's sight. They stop doing what God wants them to do. And this is, some would say, the major theme of the historical books of the Hebrew Bible and perhaps the entire Hebrew Bible is that from a time, from time to time, people lose sight of what God is. And so in that time, God sends prophets. And in this time, God sends judges. Again, there's no permanent royalty or monarchy. This is a time when people rise up to be the civic authority and also the religious authority ruling in God's name. And so this time we have sort of an aside. This is when Deborah was raised up. Deborah the prophet, who also was judge. Frequently the judges were also military commanders. In this case, that's not what happened. In this case, there was a military commander named Barak, who was in charge of waging war. And he came to Deborah, who was seeking to know what it is he should do about his problem with the Canaanites. And Deborah said, well, you should go, and I will help draw them into a trap. I, Deborah, will help draw them into a trap for you. And Barak was grateful and left. So why am I preaching about this text in the context of progressive Christian theology? when this is so far before the time of Christ. Well, part of progressive Christian theology is looking around and seeing context in the Bible, is understanding in what context stories are told, is recognizing that we have these stories and they meant something in their time. And that thing they meant may not be the same thing that they mean now in our time. Because each one of the stories brings with it the context of culture. This was not the word of God written down. This was the story of God's works in the world written down by human hands. And in the case of the Old Testament especially, it's also the story of the nation state of Israel and its history written down frequently by historians of uh, the nation, of the court. And so we find in this context from the culture, and we understand that there was context in the culture, and so we find some truth in it toward into our culture. And one of the truths that is here, stripped out of any other context, is that 3,000 years ago, the prophet called by God to bring order 
to the people in this time was named Deborah, a woman. 3,000 years ago, God was speaking through the voices of women on earth. And in our context today, we realize God has been speaking through men and through women for all of this time. What does that tell us about God and God's love? What does it tell us about the message Jesus brings to us? In the New Testament, in the Greek part of the Bible. And we say, well, one of the things that it brings to us is that it seems that in ancient history, God had no reason for separating men and women into different roles. And so perhaps that is a message we can bring forward. Paul had other ideas. We don't know the context of Paul's other ideas, but they are there. Other people had other ideas, but we know that in this time and in this place, women were called as prophets. And this is not the only place where women are called as prophets. We see that elsewhere in the Bible as well. And so how do we express that belief? How do we bring that forward into what it means to be a progressive Christian? It's to take that message to the next level. You may have noticed in this church that we sing a lot of hymns out of this hymnal. If you have strong opinions about hymns, you may occasionally grind your teeth when we read hymns from this hymnal. I'm not going to look over in that corner of the church where two people are doing it right now, but you can trust me that they are. Okay, why do we do that? This is the New Century Hymnal. It was published by the United Church of Christ uh, about 10 years ago now, and it was designed from the ground up to use what we call inclusive language. It was to understand that we don't want to make an idol out of God. In the Hebrew Bible, we are told not to make idols out of God, and that's in the Ten Commandments. And in Judaism, you will see, in especially Orthodox Judaism, they will not even write down God's name. There's this idea that God had a name in the Hebrew Bible called Yahweh, we don't know for sure because at no point did anyone ever write in the vowels for that in Hebrew. We know what the consonants were, but that's it because they do not write down the name of God. And another simple extension of that is assigning gender to God limits God. If we can't even write down God's name, how can we say God is a man or God is a woman? And so I'll get to the scriptures in a second, but in our hymns, all unquestionably written by human hands, we make choices. Sometimes this leads to awkward wording, and that's what leads to the grinding teeth. But we make choices to say God is not man, God is not woman. God may have the role of father as well as the role of mother, the creator of us all. But we will not limit God by assigning a gender to God. We will say, all of you who are singing, do not get in your hand, heads that the divinity of God is restricted to our male forms. Do not get in your head that you, because you are a woman, you, because you are gay, you, because you are straight, you, because you are white or not white, are not created in the image of God. And so we make choices. And so we sing out of this hymnal most of the time. And if you notice the hymns that I pull out of the Methodist hymnal because I simply can't take the edits anymore in the New Century hymnal, I try to use those same rules. Now, we don't do it all the time. You'll notice that many of our scriptures, especially our New Testament and Hebrew Bible scriptures, we don't change the language. And the reason for it is this. These books were written 
They were written in a language, they were written in a context, they were written with assumptions in those cultural places about what it meant to be God. And as my old, old Testament professor said, there is no question that the God of the Hebrew Bible is a male God. And so we leave that text as it is, and we find ways to understand that text with our current understandings of God and with other aspects of the Old Testament. We read them together and say, well, we are not meant to make an image of God, so how do we know God is a male God? Well, we don't, and we think that was an incorrect assumption, right? And so we leave that text there to be understood as it is, and we can talk about it and talk about it in other places. The other place that really comes up, if you will see when I am writing out worship materials, I, nothing that is responsive will I make uh, in masculine language except for one thing. What's the one thing that we say every week? Our Father. Why is that? Anyone know? Okay, it's because little, little snippets stay with me sometimes. And a friend of mine pointed out, you know, out of everything in the Bible, and in that prayer especially, the two words that we're almost certain that Jesus said were our Father. Uh, because this is the tradition that Jesus had. And so sometimes we say we want to preserve that language even now into the future, even understanding that it sometimes creates an issue. But we want to limit it and say, well, we want to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to see the divinity of God in their own experience. The other place that we do it is in baptisms, and that's because we have covenantal ties with people who say we must baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I respect our covenantal ties and will not talk voluminously about that topic. Okay. Um, so that's why we do this, and that's why today I preach on Deborah on this person who was in charge 3,000 years ago, who was part of God's plan on earth then. I will call you, Deborah, to be a prophet and judge in this place because we don't get that many opportunities in the Bible to point out that this is a thing that has been happening for 3,000 years. While we may do translations and say, we don't know what we mean about, uh, about what this pronoun ought to be, we know that even in the oldest times, women were entrusted by God on an equal basis with men. And so isn't it the least we can do in our worship to set the ground there and say, we are all loved children of God on an equal basis with one another, and the language of our worship should reflect this. And so that's why we say it is progressive Christian theology. We're going forward, although we're also going backwards and saying God's message is for all of us, Jesus' love is for all of us on an equal basis, and we must understand the words of God and the commands of God, the commands of God's prophets in that context. And so here we see the challenge of Deborah, because it is a challenge. We see 3,000 years ago, when the warriors were king, God called a woman to lead. So as we look around and we try to discern God's voice in our heads and try to find what God calls us to do, and we sometimes hear things we wish we hadn't heard, the challenge is, what's our excuse? What is it that God has said to us? For Deborah was called to rule 
in war. And she did it, and she gave strength to Barak. What are we called to do, and why can't we accept it? Amen.